if you haven't yet heard, I have just released a free, yes, free journaling course. If you've always wanted to try journaling, but just don't know where to start, or you've been hearing how powerful journaling can be, but you just don't understand why, or you want to create a daily practice that enhances your life, but you just need a little support in doing that without it costing you anything, this course will do all that for you. It is packed with content that will show you just why journaling is important, how to do it, where to start, and how to make it work for you. It is completely free, and that is as a way for me to pay it forward because journaling really is one of the most integral parts of my growth practice and I want to give that to you. All you have to do is click on the link in the show notes to get the course sent directly to your inbox. The bacteria in your gut that you're building up during these starvation periods, they actually help a lot with hunger. They help a lot with cravings. So during these starvation periods, what are people doing? They're digging up roots and they're eating those. Well, what do those roots feed? They're feeding bacteria. they're feeding acromancia, they're feeding those foods. Those, those bacteria. And those bacteria um, essentially rewire the body's cravings for food and desires for food. So the bacteria that are spinning up while you're hungry, if you do this correctly, they actually help your cravings. They help it quite a bit. Okay, my friends, welcome back to Reconditioned with Lauren Vaknin. I'm so excited for you guys to hear this episode. Joel Green is really an authority just in the subject of well, just everything to do with the human body, really, but he calls it the immune-centric approach to health. And his book, The Immunity Code, is absolutely life-changing. Now, as you guys know, I'm not one for talking about weight loss in terms of being thin or speaking about anything that that remotely relates to us not being accepting of our bodies, but I am into honoring our bodies and feeling healthy and feeling good. And when things don't feel good and things are out of balance, it is an invitation to bring that back into balance. And so when we are carrying too much excess fat, there is a reason for that. And there are ways that we can change that. And there are ways that we can remedy that. And Joel Green talks about that in a way that actually just busts a lot of myths. So he's talking in this episode about, you know, all this stuff about keto actually can make you in the lo- in the short term, it will make you better. In the long run, it will make you sicker. He talks about the myths behind intermittent fasting, so many other things. The most incredible episode. I mean, we, we spoke about even antioxidants, kind of like the myths behind antioxidants. It's about understanding what makes up body fat and how and why and at what points we should be reducing it such a deep understanding of it that I don't think many of us, I don't personally know anyone who has the, the level of understanding that Joel does, the level of kind of research that's gone into it. So when you hear this, your mind is going to be blown at some of the things he speaks about and some of the recommendations he makes. And all of it is in his book, The Immunity Code. And I'll link that in the show notes. I will also link to Joel's courses if you wanted to take any of his online courses, which he mentions in the episode. I would highly recommend whether it's doing the courses, whether it's reading the book, starting somewhere but if you've always kind of wanted to understand more about fat loss and slowing the aging process because all of this just comes down really to health and this immune-centric approach to our health and we also speak in the episode about his map of peak human physiology so the things the key things we should all be doing to live 
in a more healthy state. So brilliant, brilliant episode. I'm, I'm so excited for you guys to hear it. Don't forget, we are very, very close to being at the Uncover Your Purpose training challenge that I'm running, which will start next week. So please make sure to head to the show notes and click on the link to register. It is a free training I'm offering over three days. It's only 30 minutes on each of those days, but on each of those days, I am going to help you uncover your purpose. I'm going to teach you about manifestation. I'm going to teach you how to uncover the darkest parts of yourself, your shadow, to understand your shadow, because if you don't understand your shadow, you have no way of knowing who you are. Without knowing who you are, you cannot uncover your purpose, my friend. So I'm going to show you how to do that. And I'm also going to show you how to uncover your identity and step into the identity of the person you want to be. All of it is free of charge, no strings attached. You don't have to do anything else. You don't have to be my client or anything like that. And actually, even if you did, I have a very long waiting list at the moment. So this challenge isn't about that. It's just to help you uncover your purpose. It's for women only. I would love you to join me there. There's also going to be amazing prizes up for grabs. It's going to be fun. It's going to be interactive. I'm going to be making you guys have a lot of fun while understanding how to uncover your purpose. And hey, part of purpose is also your health, your well-being, all of that. So we're going to go deep into all of it. And I'm going to show you how to really get to that point of living your very best life, the one that you know you can see, you just don't know how to get there. So head to the show notes, click on the link and register. It starts on November the 7th and I will very much look forward to seeing you there. Okay, my friends, as always, if you enjoy the episode, feel free to rate and review. It will just help other people to find this podcast and be able to uplevel their lives as well. Thank you so much for being here. I am grateful for you. Listen up, ladies. If you listen to these episodes but wonder how the hell to implement all the stuff I talk about, I am offering you the chance to join the biggest free of charge live training event I have ever offered. In order to heal one part of ourselves, we have to heal the whole self. And from Monday, the 7th of November, the Uncover Your Purpose training will begin, where I'll be offering three 30-minute intensive and interactive online live training sessions to teach you exactly how to alchemize your life. For those who turn up live for all three of the remote trainings and get involved in the challenges I'll set, there will be incredible prizes and incentives. And I'm talking really worth your while. It is completely free, no strings attached. You just have to show up and make that commitment to your growth. If you want to find your purpose, get healthy, get happy, and start manifesting the hell out of life, click the link in the show notes and register now. Joel Green is the creator of the Veep Nutrition System, the world's first commercially available program based on targeting gut communities to affect health and body composition. His system has even been featured on the Dr. Phil Show storylines. Joel is also a featured author, speaker, and consultant for nutrition companies, top-tier publications, and major podcasts. Beginning with the first article on the gut biome revolution to the health and fitness community written in 2007, he has amassed the largest known body of outcomes targeting the gut biome. He is the author of The Immunity Code, The New Paradigm for Real Health and Radical Anti-Aging. Joel has devoted over 50 years to the pursuit of health, nutrition, and anti-aging. So welcome to Reconditioned. Hey, thank you, Lauren. It's really good, really good to be here. Looking forward to this. Same. Well, as, as we were talking about in our, our little pre-chat, um, your book is pretty amazing. I mean, the information available in there is pretty life-changing also because it busts a lot of myths 
Um, and, and that's something I want to go into. And before we do, I always start by asking my guests the same question, which is what have you done so far today to support your wellness? Oh, well, that's an interesting one. Um, so uh, first thing I did when I woke up this morning was actually just circulatory in nature, um, which is um, particularly as you age after um, a night of sleep, <clears throat> it's very common to see what we would call um, stabilized hypoxia, meaning that your tissues are oxygen starved. And what a lot of people will experience as they wake up in the morning is they start you know, their day and they start reoxygenating and then they're really sore for like the first hour, first hour and a half of the day. Well, that's that's due to a thing known as a reoxygenation injury where you have hypoxic tissues that are um, resaturating with oxygen and in the process they're making free radicals. So you get really, really sore. So one of the practices that um, I, uh, particularly as I, as I, you know, get older, um, one of the things that I focus on um, constantly is just circulation. And so the very first thing I did when I got up was I, uh, I just, I sat in kind of like, um, kind of like a, 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 I don't know what the word for it is, but it's, it's where you're sitting up with your legs tucked under and I just let the legs really, really push circulation through the body. And then I stretched and oxygenated and I stretch a lot. So I stretched, um, whole body stretch a couple different directions. And then I just lay in bed and oxygenate for about um, five minutes. And that's, um, that's, so what the body's doing while it's sleeping is it's, it's, one of the key jobs of sleeping is that you're taking in oxygen to make uh, ATP, to make the proteins your body needs to heal the body. So if you don't get enough oxygen, if you don't get adequate oxygen in uh, while you're sleeping, <clears throat> then you don't make the proteins you need and the body doesn't heal. So um, I usually take a couple minutes when I wake up and I kind of go into almost a hyperventilation, just lying prone on the bed. It's called proning and it's a way of clearing hypoxia from the tissue. So that was kind of the very first thing I did today. <laughs> Wow. What what are some other things we can do when we're sleeping to or before we go to sleep to ensure that we're getting enough oxygen during the night? Mm -hmm. Well, this is a big topic. It's um it's something that's really exploded since the immunity code came out. Um the foundational element really is the care of the airway. Um so there's actually I would say three components to this. One is the pipes, the piping. So the width of the pipes that have to take in oxygen. So we want to make those pipes as wide as we can, take in as much air as possible. The next thing has to do with the ability of oxygen to circulate. And so that, that is the, uh, the circulatory system, what's called the endothelium in scientific terms or the vasculature. So it's critically important as we age to take care of that. It's as important as the gut. And um, next would be the other thing that goes in line with that is what's called your redox status, or just basically that's like a fancy way of saying like, do you have um, enough antioxidants? You don't want too little, you don't want too many, you want just enough. So those three things all become one um, when it comes to keeping the body oxygenated because it has to do with how much oxygen you take in, um, how does it carry in your blood, um, and does it get to the tissues? And so specific things, like the number one thing that's really uh, getting, getting kind of noted over here in the States is um, there are different modalities now that look at expanding the palate. 
actually mm -hmm. taking using what's called epigenetic bone growth to put pressure on the inside of the palate. Um, my wife is actually doing this right now. Um, and basically it's like reverse braces. So you wear this device and it pushes the inside of the palate out. And then what it does over time is it actually regrows the cheekbones. It's pretty amazing. Wow. Um, but in the process, it opens the palate up so that you're getting more oxygen, more oxygen in the body. So that's, that's kind of like a high level thing. Um, mm. The starter kit, <laughs> if there is such a thing, the starter kit would be uh, just wearing simple um, uh, breathe rights and mouth tape and nasonex, just the most basic things, just to make sure that you're getting more air when you're sleeping. Mm. Um, another thing is using um, using the tongue um, in different ways. So you can use the tongue as a, as a workout device. Um, as, as like a, a couple simple exercises. One would be that you're covering the lips up with your finger and then just making a small opening by dragging your, your finger either to the right or to the left. And then you're inhaling and then exhaling. And so what you're doing is a forced exhale where you're forcing the throat muscles to push. And over time, if you do this enough, what happens is it's like you're giving a workout to the airway. So the airway muscles go from being kind of like flabby and old and weak to they start getting strong and kind of like um, opening up a little bit more. So those are like simple things on the airway side. of the And then, uh, you know, pertaining to what I would say per pertaining to redox uh, or rather free radicals and antioxidants, um, the, probably the single, single most important thing to keep in mind is that you need you need a balance of both. So if you listen to like the supplement industry, they're going to tell you that you know you got to take got to take this product every single day. You know, is it antioxidant? You got to take it every single day. Well, probably kills you faster. <laughs> You'll probably die sooner because you have what's called reductive stress. You have the opposite of um, free radical stress. You have reductive stress, and that's when you have too many too many antioxidants. Mm. So. Really, the notion is just that you have a balance in like if you're taking like an antioxidant, you don't need to take it every day. You know, mm. at older, what matters a lot is that um, we're not making as many of the beneficial free radicals that we need to keep the circulatory system opened up. So you kind of have to not do too much of anything is what I would say. Yeah. Yeah, I've learned this in my journey as well, especially with my kids and kind of watching my kids and never wanted to kind of over supplement them you know I kind of just want their immune systems to do their thing with they're raised very naturally they're, they're not bombarded yeah. with pharmaceuticals or anything like that so but when they do get sick it's like not trying to rush straight away to give them this and give like let's you know give them some things to support but let's also see what their immune system is doing and give the immune system a chance to and I also think and I don't know what your views are on this but I think simple things we do around the house for example you know, reducing the EMFs in the house and making sure the Wi-Fi is off at night so they can heal and repair at night and, and stuff like that, as opposed to bombarding with loads of supplements. Yeah. So, so on that, I would just say supplements are supplemental mm -hmm. and they're great, they're great in that sense. They're great as long as they're supplemental, but they're, right. you know, they're, and they can be wonderful things. Like I sell a couple of supplements, but I don't tell you to take them every day because sure. they're supplemental. Um, but yeah, um, definitely agree. You know, like, um, EM proofing the house is a big one. Um, I actually, I actually went and bought like a really good EMF meter. Um, oh, it's, yeah. it's 
like a high end one. And then I went around, you know, my whole house, like, you know, taking readings, annoying everybody, things going off and all that. And it's kind of surprising when you do that. I, um, I, know. I put, I put it where my head is, where my, where my head sleeps. And there was a little, a little bit too much radiation coming in. And I was like, Oh, wow. You know, and it, so it leads you to start thinking about like, oh, well, I'm going to Faraday cage this room and, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. totally. EM yeah. smog is a, it's a big deal for sure. It is. I think because you can't see it, people don't really realize the importance of it. We've got the summer Vedic and then we've got like Shungite all over the house and all other weird witchy things. But I'm just going back to your, your first thing and then I want to get into all the amazing <laughs> stuff in the book. You mentioned you stretch a lot. I'd love to know what the what the benefits are of stretching so much. Um, I just, I just, well, two things. Um, one is, so as you get older, you get stiffer. Okay. And so the muscles work pretty much, the muscles are an all or nothing. It, it's pretty much you either every day you keep them supple and young or you'll lose them. Like, like um, I like to sprint. And if I take a week off, it's like yeah. I've aged 30 years mm. in one week. And I have to start all the way back at the beginning. But if I stay on it and like I'm constantly doing it, then the body stays like I'm like I'm 30. Mm. So, so, so really, it's keep, keeping the muscles, um, keeping the muscles flexible, keeping them supple, keeping them sort of profiling young. You kind of have to hit it every day. That's that's kind of the number one thing. And then the other thing, really, is just uh, circulation. You know, just pushing when you're when you're when you're. And what I mean by stretching is just putting the body in different positions. It's kind of the way I look at it. And you're, you're just forcing circulation, you're forcing oxygenation. So that's kind of really how I see it. Yeah. I noticed that if I don't do any yoga for a few days or like, you know, if, even if I don't do it for a week or something, as soon as I start trying to move again, I'm so stiff. And I'm like, how did that happen so quickly? Yeah. The body's, it just, um, I, something I write about in the book is that, um, I, I, for the longest time, I think about 16, 17 years, I only made it to the gym like once a week, like literally, but I did something every day. And the things that I did, you know, maybe took a minute here, a minute there, but that's much more important, way more important than making it to the gym, way more important. Mm. And kind of evolved in our, because if you think about it, like, you know, a thousand years ago, 2000, 5,000 years ago, like it or not, you pretty much had to do something every day, yeah, whether you wanted to or not. You know, you had to exert yourself every day, whether it was, you know, getting food or getting water or, you know, swinging a hammer or an axe. You just had to do something every single day. And the body, our bodies adapt really, really well to that. They get really strong when you, when you hit them every day. And conversely, the opposite is true. So when you um, neglect the body on a daily basis, it falls off the cliff overnight. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to go into that soon, what you said about um, the gym and, and doing a little bit every day. But I want to start here. So you were training intervals in the 1970s and you were taking MCTs in the 80s yeah. and you're doing keto in the 90s and targeting AMP K in 2009. Huh? How did you know about all this stuff before anyone else did? Um, I, I was just a, I was just kind of like what a lot of um, biohackers would call themselves today, just kind of geeky nerds. And um, <laughs> I was... Uh, I was always, so I grew up very poor and, you know, we, we lived in a black house, black ghetto housing project. We lived, um, we were the only white people that lived there. And, um, when you're, when, when you're in the ghetto, <laughs> you know, your parents are always kind of like, you know, Hey, you got to dunk, dunk a basket or, you know, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta go to the NFL or you gotta cut a rap record or something. You're trapped. 
<laughs> so I was always into athletics from like the time I was five. And so um, it just was, it was, it was part of my life. And so as a result of that, um, on the consumer front, just in other words, being someone who's, you know, eager for whatever the next thing is, I was just kind of there as these different waves came along and it's, it's kind of an interesting history. So in the seventies um, was a thing called the running craze and it was like running just took off and everybody became a long distance runner. And, um, you know, it was just a thing running shoes were invented. And um, I, so I started doing that when I was like nine, eight or nine, just running, running around the block and um, trying to get faster. And then I would, I would go to my uh, fifth grade elementary school for the blacktop every day during summer and just run 50 yard sprints. Cause I just wanted to get, so I was part of the running craze. That's why. And then the next big craze that came up was the um, mainstreaming of bodybuilding. So that's, that started in the late seventies with pumping iron. And then the weeder magazines um, in the early eighties started really mainstreaming fitness, trying to take it out of the dungeon and out of this weird thing. And so I was just, I was a consumer in that I was like at the front of that I was reading about like you know Tom Platts and you know these leg training workouts when I was like you know freshman in high school and then going to the gym and and trying to do those same workouts I, I was just I was a consumer and as a, as a consumer I was always reading magazines and in the magazines you would get the very latest thing and so right about um right about late 80s I think um this thing called a metabolic optimizer came out and those were the forerunners of meal replacements. And, um, there was a company called champion nutrition that had a product called metabolol that had, had MCTs. And on the label, it said medium chain triglycerides, the fatless fat cannot be stored as fat. And so if you're old enough to remember, like in 1989, 90, every food you could buy said no fat because fat was bad no fat everything was fat so for something to say that fat could be good was was shocking like like this is what How, how's that and then right about that same time about two or three years later dr mario de pasquale uh hooked up with vince mcmahon um of the wwe and they created a bodybuilding federation and they introduced keto and so um they introduced the keto diet and it didn't really do well because they, they took their bodybuilders off of drugs and gave them keto at the same time. And it wasn't a good marriage, mm -hmm. <laughs> but, but the whole notion of, of like at the time, everybody thought, well, you just eat a ton of carbs. It was 70% carbs, 20% protein, 10% fat. And then this was the shift that came in. So, so the zone diet and the keto diet were two diets that were talking about changing macro ratios. And so I was just kind of there during all that, you know, trying everything on, trying all these things. And that was, that was kind of where that came from just purely as a consumer. And the net of that really was that um, what it gave me was a very large um, inventory of experiences as a consumer, trying things. Sometimes they worked, sometimes they didn't. But the most important thing was I could see what happened over time. And very, very often what happened over time wasn't good. It was bad. Mm -hmm. So things that made me, you know, look really good in the short term had really bad long-term consequences. So it got me really thinking about health and mm -hmm. what real health at a young age. Mm. So let's go into body fat. And mm. my first question, and then I'd kind of like you to take this wherever you want to go when it comes to because I'm always conscious about talking about weight I'm I'm never um it, it's more about kind of health element of it but if we're carrying excess body fat there's a reason for it and it's worth looking at that in my opinion okay so one of the challenges I hear from you guys the most is how hard it is to drop into meditation 
or even to relax and just feel calm. And you know I speak a lot here about how our bodies have not evolved to manage the level of stress we're faced with today, which means we're constantly in fight or flight mode with our sympathetic nervous systems always activated, which we know leads to depression and anxiety and also chronic health problems. If we want to be well, we have to find ways to mitigate this. We have to do that ourselves. And I believe in merging natural daily practices with the kind of health tech that enables us to counter and mitigate the challenges that modern life throws at us. And the Sensate is one of those products and I wanna tell you about it. So the Sensate is a small palm-sized device that sends infrasonic waves through the chest in order to activate the vagus nerve and calm the autonomic nervous system, which is the body's command center. Together with the specially composed hemispheric audio within the app, you will literally feel calmer after only a short session. I give this to anyone I'm with if I have it on me, which I usually do, and everyone has the same response. It's amazing and I already feel less stressed and where can I get one? Now I'm particularly recommending the Sensate to anyone who suffers from anxiety and wants to help calm the nervous system, those who want to deepen their meditation practice, and people who are looking for ways to be calmer and more grounded. Now most of you know I work with a shaman and he has taught me that our higher intelligence places ideas of health technology in the minds of those who can create and invent these products and I truly believe this to be the case with things like the aura ring the summer vedic even diagnostic devices in hospital and for me I believe that to be true with the sensate we have lived for too long in a high stress state we need more to help us counter that so you can get £20 off the Sensate by visiting getsensate.com, that's G-E-T-S-E-N-S-A-T-E.com and using the code Lauren20. That's getsensate.com and the code Lauren20. Thank you to Sensate for partnering with Reconditioned. And now back to the episode. Not necessarily about becoming thin. Um, is there a key thing to excess body fat? And is that to do with the gut microbiome? Or is there anything, I'd love to hear kind of your, your, your theories on body fat and what actually, assuming mm-hmm. you're kind of eating a healthy diet and you kind of know how to keep yourself healthy. Well, so we need to start at the beginning to answer that question. Um, so, so the first, the first answer to that is if you go back to the very beginning, body fat is a protective mechanism against starvation. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the purpose of it. Okay, you have body fat because historically humans did not come from environments that had refrigerators. And so there would be periods where food was um, either not obtainable or the food that you could obtain wasn't really um, calorically dense. And so you needed some protection. And if we had not had that protection throughout history, there would be no human race right now. We wouldn't be here talking about it. So you, you can say that on the one hand, the reason we're here is because of body fat. It's, it's what's kept us through seasons of starvation, which have always been there. So as we talk about body fat, we have to kind of keep that in mind because um, what the modern era of diet and weight loss has created is um, this sort of uh, semantic illusion wrapped around the words we use, where we use these words like um, weight loss or fasting, or you know, we use these words that make us think that one thing is something other than what it really is. Um, so we just have to start with a foundation that body fat is a protective mechanism. It's there to keep you alive. Okay. And so because it's there to keep you alive, um, there exist very efficient mechanisms to restore it when it gets depleted, because if you lose too much of it, and then there's a famine, your odds of survival are less. 
And so everything about the body is geared to make you survive. Mm-hmm. So, so that's our foundation. Um, that being said, um, we have a problem of excess body fat, uh, particularly in America. Like it's, it's, I've never seen it this bad now. It's, it's awful. I mean, I went to Disneyland the other day and uh, like literally everybody's obese. It's, it's amazing. Um, what we're up against here isn't one thing. It's a multiplicity of factors that have combined. And the net of it is that it, it makes weight gain over a lifetime highly probable highly probable for most people. Um, so that, that's a problem. And the bigger problem, however, has to do with um, the immune configuration of your body fat. So body fat sort of acts as a repository for very specific immune cells. Uh, we call those macrophages. The word means macro, which is big, and phage means eater. So big eaters, they're, they're protective, protective cells that protect our, they're the first line of defense. But what happens is that um, body fat sort of acts like a megaphone because um, it's easy to inflame body fat. It's easy to create cells that have a lot of inflammatory signals. And when that happens, you get more of these sort of immune cells showing up on the scene. And then they, in turn, do the same thing. They, They create these inflammatory signals. So what can happen is that body fat can sort of serve as a vector for the rest of the body, it can, it can, it acts like a rudder. It can sort of steer the ship of the body from health to disease. And so you have to treat it that way. And a lot of the, a lot of the reason why it's doing that is it's attracting immune cells um, that are inflammatory. So what will happen is um, there's a connection between body fat and the gut. And the connection is that these inflammatory immune cells the greatest concentration of them in the whole body is just under the gut lining. Um, and there's a layer under the gut lining called the lamina propia, and that's where these, these macrophages kind of collect. And what can happen is that if, if your diet is poor or you have gut dysbiosis or a number of things, the, the gut lining can open up. And then what can happen is you get um, different things, toxins that penetrate the gut lining and they get into the serum. And they kind of drag these inflammatory immune cells with them. You know, it's kind of like a it's kind of like a chase scene. <laughs> you know, you have, you have you have a criminal, and he's being chased by you know these red lights. And so that those particular toxins, they have an affinity for body fat. And so what will happen is they'll translocate from the gut through the serum, and then they'll find your body fat. And once in your body fat, they short circuit metabolism. So what they do is um, fat cells, for the most part, don't use mitochondria the way other cells do. Fat cells are, um, they basically have what's called Warburg metabolism, meaning they, they use just sugar, just glycolysis, meaning they take sugar in to power their needs and they make a little bit of energy from it. Okay. And it's very important. So, so the, the ability of, of fat cells to, to have metabolic function is critical. What will happen is that when toxins from the gut penetrate into your body fat, they sort of clip the strings of the ability of fat cells to use sugar, to use glucose. And then when that happens, you get hypoxia in your fat cells, you get, um, you get insulin resistance, you get inflammatory mediators. And essentially, um, these things, these inflammatory signals spread out 
from your body fat and they spread out to other parts of the body, uh, particularly uh, even muscle. And then you get into a really bad cycle where it's very easy to gain weight, very hard to lose it. And um, you are, in a sense, mimicking old aging just by being heavy. And when you look at the similarities between old age and obesity, they're almost identical. In fact, like with COVID, that was why you'd see there's who, who's, who are the two populations most susceptible to COVID? It's the obese and the old, right? Mm-hmm. It's because as you, um, as you gain inflamed fat, you're mimicking old age. And so that as a health factor compromises the health of the entire body. It, it can lead to what's called an inflammatory uh, phenotype, meaning that your whole body just looks inflamed and you're aging faster and all these bad things ha- happen. And it, it all comes back to body fat. Is there, because I'm always mindful of a personalized approach to everything, but you know, we're kind of talking about biohacks now and, um, mm. I know everyone listening will kind of want to know your top tips for losing body fat, understanding how, what are the best ways. So, you know, we talk about things like, um, you know, understanding what's going on in the gut biome, you know, what are the best kind of nutrition plans? Is there, you know, one that kind of everyone who wants to lose a bit of body fat should be following fasting, cold therapy, you know, what are your kind of key things for us to understand, to be able to know really how to get this kind of long-term fat loss going? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that may be the single most important question in health. That really may be. Um, so in order to answer that, a couple things. Number one, let's remember that body fat is a survival mechanism. Mm-hmm. It, originally, the reason it's there is to keep you alive, and the body has all these systems to protect it. So when you lose it, the body's job is to restore it to protect you from starving to death. So keep that in mind. The next thing is to consider the general versus the specific. So we got two buckets. We have the general bucket and we have the specific bucket. So there are things that apply generally to all human beings and they apply. Like, for example, you all have to breathe. You know, (laughs) you, you all need some sunshine, all of you, you know. And what you'll find is that the things that are general are far, far, far more powerful than the things that are specific. So there's all this talk today about individualized nutrition and all that, and that's, that's important. But foundationally speaking, the generalities all humans share are the most important factors. Are the things that are, in other words, if I had a checklist to do, I'd do the things that are general first, like mm. number one, oxygenation, making sure that you're doing that, you know, basics, uh, are you getting some sunshine, things like that. Those are the most important, powerful things. And then when it comes to the individualized, uh, specific things, those are things that, um, for example, you, you mentioned the, uh, the MTHFR gene. Those are things that doctors can really help you with, you know, to identify. So that being said, the question you're asking is, um, if I had to create a list and on that list were the most powerful things I could do in the least amount of time, what would be the list? And that is the question. That's the entire question right there, because in the real world, if you don't make your living by being fit, you need that list. You need the list that affects the most things. So top of the list would be your gut, number one. It's the number one thing that will impact your body fat long-term accidentally, sort of as a, as a, a tangential benefit. Um, and it just has to do with, um, there's, there's really a couple of bacteria that... Um, seem to correlate highly um, 
in a highly linear sense with being lean, with insulin sensitivity, with aging well, with all kinds of good things. Um, and those two are the species of bifidobacteria and the family, uh, or one specific bacteria, Acromansa mucinophila. Okay, those two, those two classes of bacteria. So the really good news is it's actually really easy to grow populations of those bacteria and to maintain them. And if you had to do nothing else, if you could just do that, that would be the thing I would say to do because those bacteria in turn control your cravings. They control uh, appetite. They control energy. They have a very, very, very powerful role over those things. Mm -hmm. um, they control inflammation and they're very easy to target and they're very easy to target through simple foods. Mm -hmm. So you don't even need supplements. Um, so the key rule of thumb there is when we're talking about the family of bifidobacteria, these are the bacteria we had when we were kids. We had tons of them. And one of the reasons you'll find that kids are so energetic is they have tons of bifidobacteria. Mm -hmm. And you, what's a cool experiment with adults is you can replicate populations of bifidobacteria and, and watch what happens. People get really energetic. Ah, I feel like a kid. What's going on? It's the, it's the bacteria in your guts. They make B vitamins. So um, rule of thumb with bifidobacteria, number one are polyphenols from uh, dark fruits. Mm -hmm. Number two... Um, are resistant starches, starches that don't digest. In fact, there's been some really good research that shows um, that paleo humans probably took in about 30 grams of resistant starch a day, and modern humans take in zero, take in almost none. Wow. So what would be yeah. examples of those? Um, nowadays, I would say things like, um, like, well, essentially resistant starches for the most part are roots, so when we think of roots, think of things like potatoes, for example, um, cool down potatoes, um, cool down like brown rice. Basically, it's, it's um, dense starches that are cold. That, that, that's essentially resistant starch. Okay. Um, and then different types of veggies like cruciferous vegetables will, will feed uh, bacteria. So it's, it's basically fam foods from the carbohydrate side of the equation um, that are either uh, dark fruits or roots, or um, cruciferous veggies. That, that's what feeds phytobacteria. So hold on, carbs aren't bad. <laughs> yeah, no, it's actually, um, I have another book I'm writing right now. It's, it's the diet. Is it called carbs aren't bad? <laughs> <laughs> it's got that as a theme. It's called uh, the, the Immunity Code Diet. And uh, one, of the, one of the points I make in the book is that um, you can actually reverse engineer the foods that should be in the diet for all humans just by looking at the bacteria that produce those foods that, that that are produced from eating those foods and so when you look at like well how do you spin up species of bifidobacteria you can't do it with fats you can't do it with meats what's that leave it leaves carbs it's the only way to spin those up so from that that alone you have to have carbs in the diet if you want bifidobacteria okay uh the next is acromantia mucinophila um, so this is a very interesting one. Um, when the immunity code came out, the world had never heard of this thing and now it's everywhere. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I mean, I, I learned about it from you and yeah, sent, sent me, sent me crazy researching it. <laughs> uh, suffice to say this, that, um, it, um, it's what's called a symbiont. Uh, it's, it's extremely beneficial for humans, um, in moderate amounts. Um, it is two things feed it mostly um polyphenol dark 
certain types of dark polyphenol fruits, and then fasting. Fasting feeds it. Okay. So the thing about acromancia, uh, a couple couple things that are noteworthy. One is that it it sort of can, it can contract the surface area of the gut, so it can actually um, sort of works like a calorie dial. It, it can increase the amount of calories or decrease the amount of calories that you're taking in. Um, you'll find that by and large, people who have um, optimal levels of acromancia tend to be lean because it really affects insulin a lot. Um, it makes insulin very sensitive. Um, and it, it basically, it's what's called a, a mucin forager, meaning that um, what is mucin? What's mucus? What's mucus? It's spit. Okay. <laughs> so if you look at the, uh, the gut lining, it's mucus. And, and so acromancia feeds on that mucus layer. That's good and bad. So the good is that um, when you have optimal levels of acromancia, it's feeding on the gut mucus layer. And what happens is that the gut mucus layer responds by thickening. You know, so it's kind of like you're trimming the hedges, and when you trim the hedges, they kind of grow back a little thicker. So that's really good. What you don't want to do is trim the hedges too low. Like you, like you don't want to go through and just, you know, sheer cut, sheer cut the hedges till there's nothing left. You cut all the green off. And you can do that um, by starvation. So what starvation does is it, since acromancia is, is spun up by fasting, if you have too much starvation or too much fasting, you can make too much acromancia, and then you can wear the gut lining down too much. Um, so it does it does bring us back to kind of balance. Like in all things, humans have historically, you know, they've had seasons where they, they didn't have food, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. But then they had seasons where they had a lot of food, and yeah. and so balance is, is really appropriate. But that being said, all I have to say uh, where it concerns body fat. These two bacteria um, are kind of the foundational level of trying to keep the body lean and keeping excess fat off. And that's a different, when the immunity code came out, one of the things that I put in the book was that fat loss begins in the gut. And that was kind of a new idea. Um, and it's very true. So, and it's true for that reason. Mm. Okay. So many questions here. Um, polyphenols, would that be red phenol powders or eating the that you can put in smoothies or eating a lot of the fruits? So what would be the best way to get those? And how well, much way, of it do we need in a day? Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, best way is always food. Food is always yeah. the best way. Um, so there's a diet in it, uh, that's part of the immunity code. And the way, what I advocate is that um, the question that we always ask about food is, you know, what foods and how much? But we also need to ask when. We need what foods, how much, and when. And the reason is when it comes to food, we, we suddenly have to, we can't leave insulin out of the equation when talking about food. So insulin is the hormone produced in the pancreas that's primarily responsible for triggering the transport of sugar into cells. That's what insulin does. And um, a lot of things go wrong if insulin doesn't work right. Um, suffice to say that insulin controls more or less your rate of aging because it, it has direct control over how fast you progress through cell cycles and a lot of other things. Um, so insulin is very, very important. So when we think about insulin, we have to consider that um, there's, a, there's a bunch of hormones, a family of hormones, the insulin family that make insulin work. And when it comes to insulin, the body's best served by sort of mimicking feast and fasting. Famine and famine and feasting, meaning you have periods where energy is abundant. So periods where you stimulate insulin directly with things like polyphenol fruits, things like carbohydrates, and then you have periods where you don't have those things. 
Okay. And so what I like to do is alternate days where I'll have one day that is um, like dark fruits in the morning, a lot, like, like probably two to three cups of dark fruits, um, along with some healthy fat and maybe some protein. And then lunch, we'll, I'll, I'll add in some resistant starch. And then dinner, I'll add in some uh, cruciferous vegetables. And so the trick is that you're stacking these things mm. across the day, but you're stacking the, um, the quickest energy source in the morning. Okay. So you're going from fastest to medium to slow. Um, so dinner is your slowest energy source, your veggies. Um, and that's the trick. So when you're, when you're taking in the polyphenol carbs and resistant starches and veggies, just stack them. Breakfast is the fruits. Lunch is the resistant starches. Dinner is the veggies. And then the following day, um, uh, basically the way I like to do it um, is that you're taking in foods that stimulate the other side of the equation, the insulin helper hormones. And so these can be things like, uh, like key, key fats, like eggs or salmon or nuts, things like that. And so what you find by doing this is that um, you stimulate insulin indirectly and you stimulate it directly on different days. And then that pattern is sort of optimal for helping the body to really stay lean and be super, super healthy. And the most important thing that I think is that you're getting a really wide variety of foods in the diet, you're getting mm. balance in the diet. So mm. kind of a long-winded answer. but <laughs> No, I love this because I also see, you know, a lot of people um, will have the same things every day. And it's mm. like that thing, you know, everything in moderation. And, you know, if those things are healthy <laughs> and it just gives the body just from a, this isn't scientific in any way, but just from kind of a common sense point of view to get used to everything and to have to adjust. And as humans, we need to be adaptable, right? So, and, and, and historically we've always had to adapt. So maybe if we're eating the same thing every day at the same times, it doesn't give the body the opportunity to do that. I'll tell you what I've noticed. Um, what I have, and this is just my observation, that when I see people who eat the same thing every day over very long periods, almost all of the time, they wind up with autoimmune issues. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Really they get some kind, of, some kind of allergy or something. And it's because if you think about it, it doesn't take very long to establish that all foods have toxic aspects to them. All foods. Like, like yeah. you can't, you know, we live in an age where you have tribes. And the tribes like to war. So there's the meat tribe, there's the plant tribe, and they're always at war, you know, and they, they both have the exact same argument in reverse. So it's like, no, 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 the meats are only good, but the plants are bad. And then no, 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 the, the meats are toxic, but the plants are good. And they, so but what they're both missing is that no, actually both have elements that are toxic, both. Mm. And the really interesting thing, which I talk about in my upcoming book, is that there are unique properties in the opposing food group that neutralize the toxins of the other food group. That's interesting. Like for example, meat, um, you have um, very specific types of iron in meat, heme iron, and it's very easy to get um, iron overload. And one of the ways that you can reduce iron overload is through naturally chelating agents in plants. So, and you find that, that argument over and over and over. So, but what happens is when you're not getting variety in the diet, you're just getting one thing in. And what happens is you sort of see this um, overexposure of the toxic elements of that particular food sort of start to elevate. Mm. And so, th so that's just, a, that's a thing I've noticed. It, mm. And it's, it's an argument for variety in the diet. Yeah. 
And just to kind of highlight what you've said, all this is in your book, so in, in great detail. So I would recommend anyone listening to definitely buy the book, um, which I'll, I'll link in the show notes, obviously. Um, you mentioned fasting, starvation, and, and as humans, how we've gone through those sort of periods, and we wouldn't have had the same amount of food every single day. Um, and so kind of it's going on that basis. And um, I think that also helped me. I think I, I heard Ben Greenfield talk about that once about, you know, we have this fear almost of being hungry. And actually, it's okay to be a little bit hungry. Like it's we don't have to rush to the fridge every time we feel a little pang of hunger, because actually, as humans, we have, again, the adaptation thing we've adapted by going through these different periods. So how would you manage or how would you recommend people uh, manage fasting? The first thing I would say is don't do it too much, but make sure that you do it. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so let's go back to uh, a really good, actually, a really good foundation is to watch survival shows. So like if you watch like Naked and Afraid or Alone or any of those shows, you pretty much see the same pattern that starts to evolve. And what it is, is it doesn't matter what your predisposition is coming into the show. Like maybe you came into the show and you were a vegan. Everybody's a meat eater <laughs> within about a week or two. Doesn't, doesn't matter what it is. Um, and it doesn't matter if you were a carnivore. Um, you're going to be digging up roots and berries if you find them. Okay. Doesn't matter. But what you see is that people have periods of scarcity. It's forced scarcity based on availability. And so in other words, the preference would be boy, I could really eat a water buffalo right now if there were one available, but there isn't. So I'm just going to go dig up some roots and I'll make do. Okay. And during these periods, they're really hungry and there's nothing they can do about it and they have to expend energy. Um, and then eventually they'll get some food and they'll eat as much as they can of the food typically. Um, that's the pattern that human beings have always had is that. So the first thing to understand about that is that there's always some kind of physical activity that's accompanying that scenario. Like you're just having to get up and walk, you know, find food. Even when you're hungry, you got to get up and expend energy. That's actually very beneficial for, for longevity. It's very beneficial. Okay. Um, the, the next thing is that the bacteria in your gut that you're building up during these starvation periods, they actually help a lot with hunger. They help a lot with cravings. So during these starvation periods, what are people doing? They're digging up roots and they're eating those. Well, what do those roots feed? They're feeding bifidobacteria. They're feeding acromantia. They're feeding those foods, those, those bacteria. And those bacteria um, essentially rewire the body's cravings for food and desires for food. So the bacteria that are spinning up while you're hungry, if you do this correctly, they actually help your cravings. They help it quite a bit. Um, and the other thing is a lot of what we think, um, is hunger is not hunger. It's a bacterial driven craving. Um, what you'll see a lot of people experience is the same craving at the same time of day or the same craving in the same circumstance. Like for example, you had a meal and now you just have to have something sweet or it's eight o'clock at night and you just have to have something sweet. That's a bacteria driven craving. Mm -hmm. And you can knock that out instantly, instantly by recolonizing the gut. Just by recolonizing the gut, you can wipe that out. I've seen it many, many times. And so in terms of like people listening to this thinking, okay, so is it a certain amount of hours per day you would recommend fasting or mm -hmm. a day, a month or something like that? What, what's your mm -hmm. tip for that? 
here's my recommendation. Um, it's I would say it's the I would say I'm biased, <laughs> but I'd say it's the most advanced thing out there, and that is what I call amplified fasting. And basically, it's mimicking that scarcity period where we didn't have game, you know, so we're eating roots and things like that. Um, and what that does is it tends to make fasting work better. It, 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 and it, there's a lot of research, a lot of science to this that we could go into, but suffice to say, what I suggest is the day before a fast, um, eating the foods, the polyphenol fruits, the resistant starches that spin up the phytobacteria. The next day, fasting for a very short period, fasting maybe four, five, six hours, maybe. And right when you wake up, um, doing two things. Number one, taking um, what are called small molecules. These are things that potentiate fasting, make it work better. And number two, doing some exercise. And number three, if you can, get cold. Those three things. Three things. Yeah. Right. Um, and what you'll, what you'll find by doing that is that um, you don't have to fast very long it works much better. It's like you can do four hour fasts that get the same benefits of 24 hour fasts by doing that, but you're not experiencing all the starvation and all those other things. So that's what I would recommend is an amplified fast. And I do that three times a week, but it's very short. It's like four hours and it's part. And the net of that is that you're, you're aging much slower three times a week by doing that. So. Wow. Okay. And you mentioned recolonizing the gut. What would be the best way to do that? Is that through, is that mm. your, what you're talking about, getting enough Akkermansia and bifidobacteria, or is that something else? Yeah, so um, qualifier with this is that um, we're, we're talking about your gut is kind of somewhat baseline. It doesn't mean you don't have issues, but it just means that you don't have some serious pathology like Crohn's disease, okay? Right. Yeah. Um, so, so assuming that that's where you're at, kind of a baseline. Um, what the immunity code protocols are is that you take 10 to 15 days and you focus on um, what are called human milk oligosaccharides, having about three to six grams a day of those. Um, red phenols from um, red phenol powders and then either apple skins um, or apple peel powder, uh, those, those three things and that you're getting them in and then eating kind of how I suggested. And you do that about 10, 15 days. And during that time, you will recolonize the entire gut. I've got thousands, literally thousands of testimonials on how that's changed people's lives. Mm. And then from that point on, you just need maintenance. So what I suggest is maybe once a week, maybe twice a week, having um, some red phenols and some um, HMOs in your, in your diet. And mm. just as long as you're not eating junk, that will keep you kind of you know, at, the, at the baseline without getting too much of those things, without overdoing it. Again, supplements are supplemental, so. Yeah, let's talk about HMOs then, um, mm -hmm. human, mm -hmm. human, human yeah. milk oligosaccharides. You mentioned having, that we can get that from baby formulas, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're not great, baby formulas. They've got a lot of yeah. synthetic vitamins and non-organic dairy and, yep. you know, hydrogenated oils, et cetera, et cetera. I'd, I'd love you to take me through that because for me, this was a bit of a conflict when I was reading yeah. about this, but yeah. I'd, so I'd love to hear it from you. Yeah. When I first wrote the book, um, there weren't supplemental forms of HMO on the market. And so what I'd been using for a number of years uh, were, were baby formula packets and quite successfully, I, I uh, famous uh, podcast guy here in the US, Mark Bell, um, way before my book ever came out, I, I gave, I put him on a cycle of 
of uh, baby formula and other things for about a month, and it completely cured his lactose issues. Like never had them since. Mm. Um, so that was the only way to get to get the HMOs. Um, and, and so for your audience, okay, HMOs are essentially they are carbohydrates that are found in mother's milk, and they are what's called um, glycoproteins. Um, so they are long chain long chain poly, polysaccharides. Uh, oligosaccharides, long chain oligosaccharides. Um, there's different kinds. Um, in mother's milk, there's three types. There are what are called sialated, then non-sialated, and then acidic. Um, or excuse me, fucosylated, non-fucosylated, and then acidic. Th those are the those are the types that are um, in mother's milk. Um, and those different types serve different purposes at different points in time, but essentially they, they jumpstart the immune system and they jumpstart the bacteria in the gut for the baby. So the baby gets those, uh, those carbohydrates in, they act as immune decoys, they decoy bacteria. Instead of grabbing onto the intestinal wall, they grab onto the HMOs and the baby just poops them out. Um, and so they help the, the infant gut establish the immune system. And then they also feed acromancia and pseudobacteria. So from that perspective, you know, they're, they're, um, very much a uh, a vital thing when we are first born. Um, in terms of getting them as an adult, so what happened when I published the book was I decided um, that the book needed to stand on its own, and I didn't want people accusing me of trying to make money on supplements. So I didn't even sell any supplements for the first two years of the book's publication. And some other companies jumped in and started selling HMOs. Um, the, the problem with that is, like, I never started out to uh, make money selling HMO. That's not my goal. My goal is to solve the problem. So the, the, uh, the recommendations that you get from supplement companies um, are, for the most part, really kind of at odds with what's optimal for health. Like, supplement companies want you to take their supplements all the time. Okay. Um, particularly with HMOs, that's not something you should be doing. Um, the best way to take HMOs is to take them in about a 10, 15 day period, jumpstart the gut again, and just think about it. You don't go through life breastfeeding. Okay. <laughs> you stop breastfeeding <laughs> at a point in time. So mimicking breastfeeding all the time as an adult, probably not something you should be doing. <laughs> um, there's an optimal way to use those, which is, um, once you've recolonized the gut, um, you can you can use them. You know, like I said, once a week, use, you can use HMOs to supplement. What are far more important on a regular basis is resistant starch. Um, mm. So, it's just about the proper use of these things. Um, HMOs are a fantastic tool to help people reinitiate, rejumpstart their gut. Um, I've had many, like I said, thousands of people who you know, had gluten intolerance, dairy intolerance, wheat intolerance, bloating, um, you know, all kinds of issues. And just stepping through this simple protocol, like completely, yeah. completely done, completely normal. Um, so that being said, again, supplements are supplemental. And the proper way to use these is the diet comes first, and then, you know, intermittently, you mix them in. So mm. kind of a, yeah. And what about um, colostrum? Um, I take mm -hmm. colostrum um, mm -hmm. at the moment. Yeah. Again, I don't ever take supplements, like mm -hmm. you're saying, long term. But at the moment, I'm taking some colostrum. Mm -hmm. It's obviously bovine colostrum. Um, what's your thoughts on that? Colostrum can be a source of HMOs, but you have to consider that the type of HMOs. So, so um, colostrum has what's called sialated HMOs, 
where the type of HMOs you find mostly in mother's milk are fucosylated HMOs. So the one HMO that's on the market right now is called 2-fucosolactose. It's a fucosylated HMO. Um, and what this has to do with is just the structure of, of the carbohydrate chain and you know, one end of it has uh, fucose and galactose and all these other things. Um, but really where that's important is in the life cycle of nursing for the infant, the, um, the, the silated HMOs have a role and they are, um, they are very effective. Um, the fucosylated HMOs are kind of the foundational element that are in the breast milk that carry the infant throughout the feeding term. So you just have to be aware that um, you do get HMOs in colostrum. They're not the same that you get in um, mother's milk, but they are beneficial. Um, and colostrum has a lot of other benefits. So the way I like to the way I like to kind of capture it is to say, for optimizing the gut, taking the gut from zero back to kind of an optimal state, um, the fucosylated HMOs are sort of ideal. Um, for muscle growth and for um, sort of uh, keeping the body in, a, in an anabolic state, uh, in a very healthy state, uh, colostrum is really good for that. It's much better. So just a question of when to use what. <laughs> Great. Um, I'm just a question on, I guess what I'm, the listeners might want to hear right now, based on everything you've spoken about, I'm trying to think, okay, what are the key things I want to like not miss? What would be your top four to five resistant starches? I mean, I know you mentioned potatoes and they should be cold, but let's yeah. make a, a top five list that people can like really kind of pinpoint this. Yeah, I would say, uh, probably your number one source is uh, going to be cold potatoes. Um, which a lot of people are, you know, going, wait, I can eat potatoes. Great. <laughs> As in, so like you boil a potato or whatever, and then eat it cold. Yeah. Just let it, simple let it, that. yeah. What you can do is you can actually let it cool down and you can even heat it up again. Um, and then just let it cool down a little bit again. And so that heating and cooling will build more resistant starch, um, in it. And in fact, there's been some really fascinating research, um, in the last couple of years that showed so something I talk about in the book is what's called a preload meal. And that's a meal that you have uh, prior to a next meal. So you have a little small meal before your next meal, and then it can be very functional. So there's been some research showing that if you have um, resistant starch plus whey protein prior to like a sugary meal, you increase fat oxidation 45%. You increase wow. um, insulin sensitivity and glucose transport like 33%. Like, shocking, shocking numbers just by adding resistant starches. And, and again, you know, there's a lot of good research that suggests 30 grams a day of resistant starch is what people were getting 10,000 years ago, just by accident. Like, you know, mm. you, there wasn't any food and like, oh, well, let's, let's go eat that plant, dig it up. And, you know, eh, not my favorite thing, but oh, well, you know, keep us alive. So, um, okay. So potatoes, um, another one I like to use is brown rice and just let it cool off. Um, so that that's a really good source of resistant starch. Um, you'll you'll get it. Um, I like to use green beans as well. So green beans have um, a combination of uh, hemicellulose, cellulose, a little bit of resistant starch in them. Um, I like to use that. And um, try to think as I go through the list. Uh, uh, yams are good. You can let the yams cool off. Uh, let them just cool down. So it's just starchy foods, but mm -hmm. just let them cool down natural whole foods whole starchy foods but just let yeah. them cool down yeah and is there anything you shouldn't eat with it because like in england for example we love to put butter on a potato like is that mm -hmm. is that a bad thing 
No, it's a good thing. Um, so whenever you're taking in um, carbohydrates, um, you should have a little bit of fat with the carbohydrate because the fat slows release from the gut. Awesome. So butter is actually, a, in fact, there's a, there's a hack um, in, so I have these online courses, uh, like a fat loss course and some other things. There's some hacks in there for different things. Um, one of the hacks is for out of control eating, hyperphagia. And the works, the way you fix this is you have, um, in the morning, you have a, uh, like you have like, uh, some protein, like a couple eggs with a bunch of resistant starch. So like a, a, a giant baked potato and some butter, um, and so you would have that in the morning and then you would have like 30,000 IUs of vitamin D with that. So just take some supplemental vitamin D. And it's that combination of fermentable starch with um, high protein and vitamin D just knocks it right out, knocks the wow. hyperphagia right out. This is just mind-blowing stuff. Um, and, and also it's making me think about, my son has this um, this sensory aversion to food, which he's had since he was 12 months old, mm. but he loves potatoes, like baked potato with, with butter, uh, with baked beans on it and stuff like that. And it's making me realize kind of, you know, thank God I don't want to talk too soon, but he's about to turn seven. And for someone who really has, doesn't eat, he doesn't eat any vegetables. I mean, he has a smoothie and I put a bunch of stuff in that, including red phenols actually, um, and a bunch of other stuff. But it's making me realize maybe like why actually he's doing okay, despite all of that, because he has a lot of potatoes. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the, it's, uh, it's pretty shocking. Actually, um, something I talk about in my uh, upcoming book as well is th there are our discussion of nutrition we think is very advanced today, but, but it's kind of like the observable universe, you know, there's a universe beyond that we haven't even touched into. So mm. something that's really not been touched into is that uh, there are peptides in potatoes that are highly anabolic. They drive muscle growth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you go look at like some of these populations that, you know, kind of had to live on potatoes, like some of the, uh, some of the, um, some of the strongest people in the world are like these Scotch Irish, these Highlanders, and it's really yeah. like strong, yeah. strong dudes. And it's, yeah, you know, it's, I think part of it was the, the diet over many centuries. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of potatoes and probably a fair bit of meat. Um, <laughs> okay. So just to go back to Akamansia a second. Um, yeah. Akamansia you get from apple peel, right? So how many apples, how many apple peels, do you, how many apples worth of peel do you need mm -hmm. to get that going? So, um, okay. I got that out um, in the end. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> apple peels um, have some interesting things in them. Um, one of them is called cyanidin-3-galactoside. And what that is, is it's a, it's a, it's a polyphenol. It's a color. Okay. Um, and it's a very long chain, like massively long chain. These are what are called highly um, polymerized procyanidins. Okay. They're very long chain, long chain um, uh, phenols. Uh, so acromancia can eat those. It's food for acromancia. Um, and sources of those, your, your number one source is actually aronia for that, um, which generally isn't too well known. Aronia is like your best source. Apple peels are kind of like number two, but they're the one everybody can get. Like, okay. like when you say erronea, don't even know what it is. Where would I get it? How do I get it? But apple peels are very easy to get. You can go to the grocery or get a bag of apple peels. So the thing to understand about apple peels 
is is where your gut's at currently. So we've had a lot of fad dieting over the last five years. We've had um, intermittent fasting, we've had keto, we've had carnivore, and something not generally known yet, but in the undercurrent of discussion is that you give yourself five years of that stuff and half the people you talk to, their guts are wrecked. Okay. There's very good reasons for that. So when you're on that type of diet, excessive fasting, you spin up too much acromancia, uh, keto, you're not feeding the fit of bacteria, you're not feeding acromancia, carnivore, you're not feeding the fit of... So what happens is people doing these diet trends, they, they, they starve off the phytobacteria, and they, they starve off all the bacteria that have the power to digest fibers. And then they'll try and come off those diets. They'll have a little bit of carbohydrate, a little bit of, you know, um, fiber and their guts completely bloated. And they're like, I can't, I can't handle these foods. Mm -hmm. It's not that you can't handle these foods. It's that you're in terrible shape in terms of your ability to, to digest those foods. And it's going to take you some time to build it back. Mm -hmm. So generally what I suggest is that if you've been doing a lot of fasting, a lot of keto, a lot of carnivore, a lot of things like that, start with titration, start with like um, tiny, tiny amounts, and then just treat it like exercise. Like if I was going to um, give you a exercise program to, um, you know, uh, have you break a world record, <laughs> I'd probably start you off with bands and something very simple, you know, very easy. Because if I, if I try and do the world record workout up front, you're never coming back. Mm -hmm. So um, with apple peels, what I suggest is um, start with, um, if, if, you, if your gut is not in good shape, maybe start with like about an eighth of an apple, the skin off the, about an eighth of the, a very small amount, just mm -hmm. a little bit. And not eating the actual apple, just eating right. the skin. Right. And do that for about a week. Um, and, and see how you do. Now, the first day you might upset your stomach and just stay on it. And then what will happen is you start to spin up bacteria. Those bacteria can digest those fibers. And, it, and then once the gut feels a little better, add a little bit more, add a little bit more. Uh, but what you don't do, don't want to start off with like the skins of five apples all at once. Cause mm -hmm. if your gut's not in good shape, you, you don't have the horsepower to handle it. Mm -hmm. um, if your gut's in decent shape, then start with the skin of one apple and do that for a few days and then just keep adding in as you feel. It's very much a feel game. Mm -hmm. So that's, that would be how I suggest that. But main thing to keep in mind is the gut's digestive power for fibers is is very much a muscle. And if you don't use it, it gets very weak and you got to build it back up. That's kind of been missing from the discussion. So mm. it's very important. And I would also add to that, to anyone listening who wants to do that, the importance of the apples being organic because you don't want waxed apple skins <laughs> yeah. um, that have you know been grown in I know, Spain and flown to south africa to package up and then back to england so <laughs> i think that would be something pretty important to to mention um so what based on everything you've said what are your opinion what's your opinion on probiotic supplements and is there a better way we should be doing this than mm -hmm. actual probiotics mm -hmm. yeah so I've, I've uh, pissed off a lot of people <laughs> on this topic. Probably because... a lot of supplement companies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, quite a few. Um, so, uh, so I used to advocate probiotics. Um, this was probably about a um, number of years ago. And then what I saw over time was hindsight that people were getting issues 
Um, they were developing problems. And so what, what experience has taught me is that the proper use of probiotics, um, it, I'll start by saying there's a silver lining here and it's fantastic news. Okay. It may not be what some people want to hear, but it's fantastic news. So your best source is food. That's the number one thing. Understand how to control the gut through food. Understand how to do that. When it comes to probiotics, meaning taking in very specific bacteria, your best use of these things is single strains targeted towards specific issues, okay? Mm -hmm. And the best way to administrate that is under a practitioner who knows what they're doing. That's mm -hmm. the very best way to do it. Um, what I don't suggest you do is just go in indiscriminately buy things with probiotics and take those on a daily basis because mm -hmm. you run a very good chance of getting the, the, the right bacteria in the wrong place or all kinds of issues. You might have benefits up front, but later on it can cause problems. So let food be your, your main thing. And then supplementally, probiotics can be extremely helpful um, if you have someone who knows what they're doing with mm -hmm. that. Uh, so I'll give you an example. Um, when it comes to um, constipation, constipation is an issue a lot of people have, and a single strain can wipe it out overnight, like propionic bacteria Freudenreiche. Like you give that to people with constipation, like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. Wow. One strain, fix that issue. Okay. But really, as I said earlier, there are general things that apply to everybody, like sunshine and breathing. When you get to specific issues and specific problems with people, that's medicine. That's things that, those are things that practitioners should be helping you with. And I think, you know, if you're a practitioner listening to this, the good news is there's an amazing future. <laughs> and it centers around learning all the various strains, how they can help with certain conditions, and bringing those into your practice to really help people make rapid changes in a naturally effective way. So that, yeah. that's how I see that. Yeah. Amazing. So the, my favorite part of your book um, was the map of peak human physiology. And if it's okay with you, oh. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to yeah. read that bit out. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Uh, you need a map. It's what you've always needed. A map gives us the turn-by-turn -turn steps we need. So here it is, the world's first map of peak human physiology. And these are bullet points. Sleep seven to eight hours per night. Regular activation of youth-promoting signal pathways and mechanisms. High levels of bifidobacteria. Viscous blood with higher levels of specific proteins. Low populations of inf inflammatory ma macrophages. Cellular energy production is relatively high. Cellular membrane voltage is higher and membranes are permeable. High reservoirs of molecules within cells to offset free radical damage. Fat mass is extremely healthy with the right mix of macrophages and collagen fibers. Gut lining is intact with high populations of acromantia. Circulation is excellent and key circulatory markers are high. Immune cell receptors that represent youth dominate. Immune cell receptors that rep represent age are minimal. So that is like your map of peak human physiology. Do all those things and you'll be kind of on the path to a pretty good life, I guess. So yeah. what would you say? I mean, sleep seven to eight hours per night is pretty... Um, pretty simple to understand. We've gone through bifidobacteria and acromantia. What are some other kind of from what we've just read out some parts that you would say, hey, focus on this. If you want to focus on your, your general well-being, anti-aging, slow down the aging process um, and feel good. Mm -hmm. um, so let's, let's talk about, um, <clears throat> let's talk about uh, immune receptors, because that's that's something that mm. 
you hear and you're like, oh, how do I do that? Well, sounds good. What is this? <laughs> um, so immune cells have metabolism of their own. They have their own metabolism. Mm -hmm. And based on what you're feeding the immune cells, they can sort of like express uh, different types of receptors for things. Okay. So this gets to immune cell metabolism and thinking about like, we always think of metabolism in terms of my metabolism, but you never think about immune cell metabolism. There are ways that you can affect the metabolism of immune cells. Um, so the first way that we can affect immune cell metabolism is through dietary patterns. And it's actually just built into the diet pattern that's in the immunity code, um, specifically feeding the gut one day, fasting the next. But let's talk for a second specific to that fasting period and some things you can do to affect immune cells. So um, with, our, with our immune cells, um, a good example is a receptor called CD38. And CD38, it's just a receptor. So here's, here's an immune cell cell surface. There's a little thing poking through that says, hey, you guys, I need more of this. Okay. So CD38 um, is it's a type of receptor on immune cells. And we can specifically target that receptor. And what happens is when we target that receptor to suppress it, okay, so, so it's like, hey, bye-bye. I'm not here anymore. What happens is there's more... Um, there's more of the raw materials that the body needs to keep you young and healthy, specifically NAD, um, okay, mm -hmm. for your tissues. So the immune cells stop gobbling up CD38, and then the NAD is available for your tissues. And so mm -hmm. there's actually some easy ways to target that. So during a fasted period, um, we would want to have uh, some things in the picture and mix those things in and out. Just, just not all the time, but mix them in and out. Just make sure that kind of you're, you're checking that box, you know, maybe a few times a month. So one of those things, two of those things would be um, apigenin, which is a flavonoid, and physotin, which is also uh, a flavonoid. So having kind of those two things in the mix during a fasted period um, after you've spun up the gut. So what apigenin does is it goes right at CD38 expression. You're going right at that, okay? So you're affecting the immune cell, cell surface receptors for a very specific receptor. And it's super easy to do, okay? So look, what I'm telling you to do is <clears throat> there's a pill. Uh, it's called apigenin. You can get some and take it in a fasted state. And what it does is it helps increase NAD levels. Mm -hmm. And in fact, there's been some research that's shown the increase in NAD levels is equivalent to supplementing with NAD supplements, like like so, it's like a double it's, wow. it's a double bang for the buck. Yeah, like you can. There are NAD supplements on the market. There's nicotinamide um, mononucleotide, nicotinamide riboside. They're very expensive. You can I take them. You can take these supplements, and they increase NAD levels. But you can you can also increase NAD levels simply by suppressing immune cell surface receptors. Okay, and that's what apigenin does. And then physotin is very complementary to that. Physotin is what's called a senolytic. So what happens as we get older is we get cells that are, um, they're not dividing anymore, but they keep growing and, and they do everything more. So um, if they are inflamed, they put out more inflammatory signals. And then what happens is immune cells show up to handle that. So you have more immune cells expressing more CD38 and you just get more of that. So if you're going to fix that problem from that end of the equation, 
you have to suppress the immune cell surface receptor, and then you have to get rid of the signal beacons or the cells that are calling more immune cells, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So apigenin and physotin fasted state, sort of an easy way to do that. And don't do it all the time. Just mix it in, check the box a few times a month, but it's, mm -hmm. it's a nice plus. So mm -hmm. that's an example. I have a question for you. Um, obviously a lot of women listening to this. Mm -hmm. Number one, is there a difference between the way that women should fast and the way that men should fast based on hormone changes during the month? Mm -hmm. And should women be not just at different times of the month, but should we be doing it differently anyway? So for example, should women be fasting for less hours than men? Do they need different amounts of these bacterias? What a great question. So a couple things to think of. One is the um, luteal phase versus the follicular phase. Okay. Um, so women uh, actually have increased metabolism. Oh boy, there's a lot of rubbish in my head. I got to dig this one up, but <laughs> I, I believe, and don't, don't hold me if I'm wrong, I believe the luteal phase has a higher metabolic rate than the follicular phase. I, I might have that reversed. So. I think it's the follicular phase because the follicular, follicular phase. phase is right after menstruation and that's when we okay. kind of our yeah, yeah. estrogen yeah. levels are increased and we can yeah. work out more and lift more weights and stuff like that. Thank you. I need a little bit of help there. <laughs> that's right. I mean, you're, you're telling me a bunch of words that I'm like, what? How's he remembering all of this? So, you know. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's suffice to say that uh, one of your phases, you have a greater, uh, basically long story short, uh, certain types of things will work better during, during the follicular phase. And among those things, cardio training, uh, fasting, those things are going to work better mm -hmm. during that phase. The next thing is the way that fasting affects men versus women. Um, and there's some very interesting research on that, that um, it has to do with diurnal patterns and fasting um, and and meals and fasting tend to affect sets of genes in women differently during different times of the day, mm -hmm. which I think basically it nets out to that um, for women, you're, you're better off fasting during the morning, uh, where men, it doesn't matter what time of day they're fasting, it kind of affects right. them in the same way. But yeah, that's a really good question. Mm. So do you think women should be fasting less hours or because, you know, I wouldn't... The issue that I found was that, and I talk about this a lot, and I know this is being tackled now a lot, but, you know, a few years ago, the biohacking world was very male dominant and it, all the research was being done on men, by men, you know, mm -hmm. men kind of had the, the, I guess a lot of the men in the industry were like, yeah, I'm going to go and do this and I'm going to be an early adopter of this thing. And it's good. It's not good. Whatever. Women are a little bit more cautious. Um, on the whole, obviously it's generalizing, but um, I was talking about this with Kristen Whitesell as well, who we've had on the show, and you know that this was as a female biohacker, she's you know really gone into this. But it seemed to me that we were kind of taking the advice, the same advice as the men, and that's I don't think that always works based on how our hormones change every week of the month. And men's hormones are pretty stable unless they're you know they have some sort of pathology going on. So yeah, I guess the question is, should women be fasting less? for less hours or is it very much dependent on which week of your cycle you're in that is a great question that i don't know has been answered um mm -hmm. and i think it, i think it's waiting for some woman to really dive and I'm, I'm glad that women i have some great female friends like natalie nidham and you know uh, they're they're getting into biohacking and they're really passionate about it and you know i think that they're going to pioneer answers to certain questions like mm -hmm. that um, what I would say is that, again, going back to there are the general things, the general things are usually the most powerful things, and they mm -hmm. apply those to men and women. But then there's going to be on top of that another layer, which is the specifics that apply to yeah. women. 
So you can get a great deal of optimization from the general things. And I think in some ways, there's another layer waiting to be fully fleshed out, which is the yeah. female specific. I don't think it's been 100% addressed. And I think for the reasons you speak to, you have a lot of men doing stuff. So that's, you know, they haven't yeah. even thought about the question. Really, that's the answer. But a uh, short answer to your question here. Um, generally speaking, what I would say, and this is a general thing, I think it applies to men and women, is that... <laughs> For the most part, on a regular basis, um, you don't want to be fasting too much. Mm. You want to fast. You want to get the maximum benefits in the minimal amount of fasting time because fasting is starvation. It's going without food. Okay, so so historically, the precedent is you know okay we we'd go without food here and there, you know, or if we were going without food, it wasn't that we were going without food. It's just the food we were taking in was so um, calorically sparse that felt like we were starving, even though we were eating, but we were subcaloric, you know, during those periods. Um, so we weren't completely fasting, but you know, there was just berries and some roots and we weren't like full and satisfied mm -hmm. on that. Um, so it's good to have that in the picture. And then a couple times a year, it's good to have maybe an extended fast. It's good to have, you know, maybe two, three days of extended fasting. I think that's a good thing a few times a year. I wouldn't do it all the time. So erring yeah. um, on the side of caution, um, don't want to do it too much, but it should be in the picture. Yeah, great. I mean, I always know intuitively, I feel like when I'm menstruating, that is a time when my body's trying to slow down and it feels like it needs all hands on deck. It's not a time where I feel I want to fast. And I think also, you know, all these things are incredible, but you've even said yourself, you know, just that it's, it's everything in moderation. And I think something I often speak about and is to say to people, do all of this stuff, look into all of it, but also just speak to your body, listen to your body. What does your body need? What is it telling you it needs as opposed to listening to someone told me to go and do the keto diet. So I'm going to go and do the keto diet. And, mm. you know, like, what do you need? I think when we come to that place and that knowing that like interoception, you know, where we know our bodies really well, I think then we really can follow this stuff in a more, just a more intuitive way, which I always think is the best way forward. I, yeah, I couldn't agree more on that point. Um, so we're in this era where, you know, a bunch of smart people like to say stuff. Okay. I'm one of those people. Okay. Um, not that I consider myself, you know, smart or anything, but. You're extremely smart. Okay. Uh, I would say autistic, but, <laughs> but Ricard, thank you. <laughs> um, what I would say to that is um, it, it's very easy to hear stuff and go, oh my gosh, you know, the, these guys, I'm going to do what that person says because they know so much, you know, um, your, intu your intuition is smarter than the smartest smart person. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because in the sum total of your intuition is so many different variables going on at once that we can't even begin to quantify it. And so, you know, your intuition is always going to lead you kind of like at what you need and what your next step is. And that should be your guide. And yeah. then, and then people like me, that's supplemental. That's really how that should be. Mm. I totally agree. And I think that's a beautiful note to end on. Before we do, obviously, we're going to go into our all about you round. So I'm going to ask you a series <laughs> of rapid fire questions. Yep. Um, so the first one is always the same. It's a fill in the blank. Wellness is. Uh, um, wellness is the pursuit of vibrant health and all that it implies and everything required for that um which example connection Con connections as important as nutrition 
Yeah. Like, like we, we need connection with people. We need dialogue and friendships. And, and without that, it's like you're starving. So all that it entails is yeah. what I would say. Totally agree with that. Um, something that people nowadays think is healthy, but actually isn't. Mm, I would say um, the vilification of carbs. <laughs> mm, I'm so happy you said that. I'm off to have a massive baked potato tonight. <laughs> uh, something you wish you'd known earlier in life. Um, pertaining to health, I would say that you must you must know how to offset fat loss uh fat loss is uh inherently the mechanisms i talked about up front that body fat exists to keep you alive there's a bunch of mechanisms that are designed to do that once you so i've had many periods in my life where i got really really lean but i didn't know about the counter response and i would have had a lot easier journey had i known all that you know now so yeah yeah totally and same not in terms of fat loss but in terms of so like i would have had an easier journey if i had known such and such um, yeah. your most valuable failure oh which one <laughs> <laughs> i always love this because i think failure teaches us so much you know, perceived failure i think we learn mm -hmm. more from failure than from anything else oh gosh so here's here's what i type so about 2006, I began building my nutrition software. And that was a 10 year journey, easily a 10 year journey. And <clears throat> there was a point in that journey where like in terms of um, I, I, what I'll say about that is ultimately that it didn't go where I wanted it to go. And I'm so grateful that it didn't. Um, and the net of that for me was that I went from thinking I was something to thinking I was nothing. And I, I, I cannot be more happy about that. Like, like the, what's worked for me the best in life is think is really th thinking I'm nothing. That works great for me. Like as soon as I think I'm something, I just get it. It's just, it's the, the ship's going to sink. But what's worked fantastic for me is just realizing I'm really nothing. I'm just, you know, uh, every moment is a gift. I'm, um, you know, God has been with me every step of the way. And uh, I'm just, I'm just here, you know, every minute, just uh, grateful, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, like that realization going from uh, ego to non-ego, thinking on something to nothing has been the best thing that could ever happen to me. Yeah. So many stories like that, right? Where you just, things didn't work out and you were like striving for it and it didn't work out. And, and, and in the end, it was the best. I actually had, I was nearly, very nearly on a, had a, a presenter on a very big commercial radio station here. And, um, and I didn't, I didn't get it at the very last minute. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I never would have gone so deep into holistic healing because I would have had to be way over on the commercial kind of, um, not have an opinion side of things. And that just, it wouldn't have allowed for the, that, the sort of growth that enabled me to heal. Um, okay. Last one. What are you reading right now? Um, I am reading a, uh, uh, Rereading, actually, a very fascinating book. Um, I think everybody should read it. Um, I, I read it, gosh, like 10 years ago, and I just understand a lot more than I do now, now than I did then. It's called Signature in the Cell. 
And um, it's by a very brilliant um, PhD in, in, in biology. And I would just suggest everybody read this book. It's, it, it will reshape your, your view of the world. It's very fascinating. Is it similar to, because I interviewed a few weeks ago, Bruce Lipton, and he, he, he's a cell biologist and did all the stuff on the, 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 the biology of belief, that how your beliefs can shape what's going on in your cells. I'm guessing it's more scientific, right? Oh, yeah, no, sorry. Yeah, I will give you a warning. This, this one is, uh, is, is it, has, it, has, it's, it has a lot of science. The guy does his best to bring the science down, but it's still there. It's a little bit yeah. of a, you know, you got to struggle with it. But the key point that he really makes in here is that, um, is that DNA, um, DNA is instructions. And what you have in DNA is encoded instructions digitally encoded instructions. And that's something that um, most people just, you could say that to them and it just goes right over there. Okay, great, big deal. No, that, that's everything. That, that's mm. the question of life itself. Mm. It is once you, get, once you get what that means, um, it'll blow your mind. So yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's pretty mind-blowing. Awesome. Joel, thank you so much for being here. I'm going to make sure to put all the information in the show notes and especially, you know, for anyone who's, who's been interested in anything we've spoken about, <laughs> the immunity code, go and buy it. It's super amazing. It will get you thinking. Um, and yeah, just thank you for all your knowledge and your generosity of time as well. Thank you so much. Uh, Lauren, thank you. Can I just plug my Instagram really quick? Uh, uh, it's... Uh, yeah, I was just going to ask, where else can we find you? <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, it's real Joel Green on Instagram. And uh if you come to my Instagram and click in my bio, I have created a free section of content that is from the Amindi code. It's completely free. You go in there and steps you through things. And so, yeah. Amazing. And, and when this gets published on that same day, I'll be posting a little clip, you know, kind of a one or two minute um, snippet of this on my Instagram. So I'll make sure that Joel is tagged in that so you can easily find him. Awesome. Um, Thank you, Lauren. I really enjoyed you. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Reconditioned. I am honestly so grateful to each and every person that tunes in. Thank you also for taking responsibility for your own well-being. You should know that just by choosing to listen to podcasts like this that further your well-being, you're moving more deeply into abundance consciousness. Now, don't forget, I have a bunch of free resources over at laurenvacneen.co.uk, as well as every recommendation you could ever need in regards to your well-being on the LV Recommends page, all categorized for your ease. Thank you also to our sponsors. These episodes would not be possible without them, so make sure to check them out and get some pretty awesome discounts on the show notes. And of course, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so that you can get updated each time a new one is released. Thank you. I appreciate you. Reconditioned is proud to be working with Women for Women International, a charity that supports women survivors of war in eight war-torn countries around the world. You can help a woman survivor of war transform her life today by visiting womenforwomen.org.uk forward slash donate. 